Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. I'm Katie Helper. A lot of stuff went on this week. I guess we changed presidents, sort of, right? Technically. Kind of. Technically, yeah. Did you watch his speech? His and Kamala's speech? No. It was so platitude free. I mean, sorry. It was so, I wish it was platitude free. Yes, laden. It was chock full of platitudes. I guess, is it normal to end with like, God bless America and God bless the troops? Seems like a weird thing to end on the troops. Yeah, I, 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 I need a minute. It's not like I'm missing Trump. I'm definitely not. Uh, and we're, it's also not over from right. where it, that phenomenon is not passed yet. Right. Uh, but I'm, I'm not terribly looking forward to the to the Biden Harris era no. in terms of like watching it. You know what I mean? I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to it in, in terms of not having to think about politics as much. Um, yeah, but like you can't fall into that now we brunch thing. Well, I can. I guess you can, but the danger, of course, with 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 them is that, and a lot of people, I think, on the left are fearing this. Even though most people on the left are glad Trump is gone, but I think there's a fear that. Now that he's gone, we're not going to pay attention. And of course, that happened a lot with Obama. He did some really crappy things. I don't know. You probably didn't. You probably paid attention to his droning and all and all his finance. I actually wasn't. On the, you know, I was on the drone. I was on the finance stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I got I got in trouble early for doing a whole thing about about his inaction on Wall Street and right. um, you know they're all the same they're they're all the same to me. So I don't really care. Uh, right. You know. I mean, what what do you think we could like? He won't do the upward. Tra- he probably won't do those tax cuts, right? That Trump did, those super um, uh, wealth transferring upwards transfer of wealth. I, I'd be shocked if a lot of political capital was expended on reversing things like that quickly. But we can right. get to all of that when we talk right, about we'll it later, that, I yeah. guess. So, um, uh, all right. So let's let's do what we always do and start with the four food groups. Uh, Democrats suck. Republicans suck. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? Um, what do we got for uh, Democrats suck this week? So Democrats suck. No surprise. Um, Dan, if we could call up that article in Common Dreams, please. But we have the Democrats punching left. Left punching. Uh, I just want to point out that a vast majority it was 20 plus something out of 30 uh, of the races where candidates ran on Medicare for all. They won. OK, they won. Then we have people like Donna Shalala who lost and she's trying to. I mean, what's incredible is like I almost admire the gall of these centrists in after losing, like after losing, Donna Shalala actually said that moderates won. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she didn't win then. Yeah, she, she pulled a McCaskill. Yes, McCaskill also great authority as a loser on uh, how to win elections. And also John Kasich, Kasich, he really needs to shut up. He's, he's done. Move out of the way. The Dems already gave you a speaking part at the DNC versus like AOC got two minutes or something. He stood at that crossroads. He should have been omitted at that point because that was such a bad ad. Do you remember when he's standing at the literal crossroads? It was yeah, a little yeah. on the nose. And um, now he, he had one job. I kind of job. admire that, actually. But anyway, go ahead. Well, same way I kind of admire the Donna Shalala thing. I mean, different. I guess this was, <laughs> it was so stupid. Like, in general, you don't want to show the exact thing you're mentioning. Mm. It's a bit much. Mm-hmm. He could have he could have said we're standing at a crossroads without literally being at a crossroads. Right, right. It's too much. It's too yeah. on the nose. It's too over. You're hitting people over the head. But this guy is going on the news now. He had one job to do, 
deliver his home state of Ohio to Biden, and he failed. So it's not just, to be fair, I would, of course, I don't like him politically. He passed one of the most draconian abortion bills, by the way, as governor mm-hmm. of Ohio. It had no, it, it illegalized the most common second trimester f- uh, form of termination. And it was, it's safer than the alternative. So he put women's lives at risk, mm-hmm. their health at risk. And he didn't grant any exceptions for rape or incest. Mm. He's just terrible. He's absolutely terrible. He's not, the, the dangerous thing about him is that he has a moderate disposition. He seems like a reasonable, nice guy, but he, his policies are awful. So he's like the opposite of Trump, not the opposite, well, not the, he's the opposite of Trump in, in demeanor, which again makes people really, I mean, as long as you're not Trump, the Dems are fine with you. Bill Crystal is welcome to the scene. Uh, David Frum, you know, people who really urge the Dems to, or urge, they're not Dems, they're right wingers, and they were very much behind regime changing Iraq. And these people are embraced. Look, all these people who were involved in the Russiagate stuff are going to be getting high, you know, important posts. And, you know, John Brennan is already making noise about how we have to invoke the 25th Amendment to prevent Trump from declassifying things. So he's back in the scene. And my argument the whole time about why it was difficult to vote for Biden is because he's bring he's going to bring back all the worst people, especially from the national security side. Yeah. Oh, and then, so they're punching left again, reading from Common Dreams. Democrats have been hoping for big wins on election night with the possibility of winning not only the presidency, but also the Senate and increasing their majority in the House. But while Biden has come out on top, the party's most optimistic outcome in the Senate would be a 50-50 split if they win both Georgia runoff seats, giving them a majority with the vote of Vice President Kamala Harris. Rather than gaining in the House, the Democrats lost several seats. In the wake of these disappointments, the right wing of the party immediately blamed its left-wing for the poor showing, airing their grievances in a private conference call among House Democrats that was leaked to reporters. In a write-up about the call, the Washington Post, Rachel Bade and Erica Werner quoted and paraphrased 14 sources blaming those who, quote, endorse far-left positions, end quote, for Democrats' losses, counterbalanced by only four sources defending the left. All the progressive sources were named. Half of the establishment sources were either quoted anonymously or presented as unspecified moderates. And uh, in addition to quoting a handful of participants on the call, Bain and Warner interviewed numerous moderates for the article, uh, but only managed to interview two progressives. I'll end it with saying that uh, James Clyburn said that Dems had to stop running on Medicare for all or defunding the police or socialized medicine. And it's also worth noting that he's taken more money from the pharmaceutical industry in the past decade than any other member of the House or Senate. Well, look, the... In a way, this, the outcome that that happened, it's it's almost like the ideal circumstance for the kind of embedded uh, Democrats because they can still complain about uh, the progressive wing and and uh, especially in places like Florida, they can say, "Oh, this Bernie cost us Florida." The interesting thing, though, about Florida, and I think this undermines the idea that Bernie Sanders cost them the election or cost them that uh, going Biden, is that they voted overwhelmingly for a uh, $15 minimum wage initiative by uh, it it passed by 22 points and it's agreeing to have a $15 minimum wage by 2026. It required 60 percent of the vote to pass and it exceeded that. So it's a ballot initiative. So, yeah. 
again, all these left punching Dems, maybe you want to look at that. But people are going to be perfectly fine with that. I mean, watch, there, there's going to be very little media uh, pushback to any of that. So right. No, nothing, nothing too surprising about that. Uh, the Republicans suck. I mean, I think the, the, the funnier aspect of the story is probably going to come after we get some photos from it. But Dan, could we look at the, uh, the Million MAGA March? So this is kind of classic. There's probably going to be like 10 million Trump fans descending upon Washington. Not 10 million, but there's going to be a lot of them. And they're naming it things like Stop the Steal, because in the conservative side, the, the, this whole situation is not over. They're going to pursue all sorts of legal uh, remedies to try to look into what they think is a lot of uh, fraud. So that's fine. They're going to they're going to do lots of protests and all that sort of thing. But classically, they, they apparently they, they um, have not applied for permits for uh, this thing that's happening over the weekend. Or what they have applied for is uh, maybe not to scale. This is from the Washingtonian. The, the organization uh, for the Freedom of Speech Rally, the only application that the Park Service has received is from an entity called Cindy Chafian Women for America First. Uh, the organization listed on the application has promoted the March for Trump on its Facebook page. Uh, it doesn't sound, uh, the application doesn't sound like it's for, it's for a huge event. It says organizers expect participants to display 50 signs or placards and plan to rally in Freedom Plaza, disperse, then rally again at the Supreme Court. So maybe they're making a statement. I guess Republicans don't feel like they need to ask the government. Exactly, the right. right. They're anti-government, right? I mean, except for Trump, but their, their libertarianism right. is compatible yeah. with their anti-permitism. Right. So maybe that's what it is. I mean, I, I expect all sorts of things to happen with this march. Like maybe they'll arrive in the wrong city. Right. You know, like the Million MAGA March, like by accident ends up in Roanoke or something like that. Aren't they afraid of, of sounding like the Million Man March? No, no, marketing. But they hate the Million Man March, right? I mean, I don't know if they hate it. They, they, they probably were not excited about it, did not attend right, but it. But I mean, you know, as a marketing phenomenon, it was Yeah, they're co-opting so it. They're co-opting it. So, yeah. Look, this has become like a religion for a lot of people. And, um, you know, we just have to hope that it, that it doesn't turn into violence. And then, you know, it, it's been kind of amazing that there hasn't been anything along those lines yet, you know, uh, for all the predictions about all the unrest and all the boarding up of, of all the windows so far, people have been pretty chill about the whole thing. So, maybe, why do you think that is? Why do I think that is? Yeah. Um, because I think the 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 story about the potential for disorder was always probably overblown. Was was probably something that was that was run by a lot of news organizations without a lot of evidence to support it. I mean, I think also it was a useful thing for Trump to like you ratchet it up. And then the legal stuff in a weird, not in a weird way, then the legal opposition to it doesn't seem as extreme. I don't know if we're going to get to this, but I one of another Republican suck big time is Mike Pompeo saying he would assure the peaceful transition to a second Trump term. <laughs> I didn't even hear about that. Did oh, my really God. Yeah, he really did. And then they were like, well, other countries, this is kind of coolish behavior. I mean, this is like a pretty non-democratic thing to do. And he's like. That's a stupid question. You know that. 
President Trump continues to contest the results of last week's election after counts show Joe Biden won the Electoral College and the popular vote by more than five million ballots. On Tuesday, the Office of Management and Budget said it was proceeding with President Trump's budget request for next fiscal year. And Trump's top cabinet member, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, said he's preparing for a second Trump term. Pompeo was questioned by reporters at the State Department. Is the State Department currently preparing to engage with the Biden transition team? And if not, at what point does a delay hamper a smooth transition or pose a risk to national security? There will be a smooth transition to a second Trump administration. All right, we're, we're ready. Secretary of State Pompeo was asked to compare the Trump administration's response to Biden's victory with overseas elections where defeated candidates cling to power. This department frequently sends out statements encouraging free and fair elections abroad. Yes. And for the losers of those elections to accept the results, doesn't President Trump's refusal to concede discredit those efforts? That's ridiculous. And you know it's ridiculous. And you asked it because it's ridiculous. Well, Trump, Trump is going to leave office. It's over. Uh, this There's going to be a lot of sturm and drang before we get there. But I don't expect any of it to be real or anybody to actually try to to stay in power longer than they can absent some kind of court ruling which i don't expect at all yeah because they don't have unlike bush they don't have very skilled uh attorneys either well that's that was the whole point on election night you know they're they're looking around for somebody to try to intervene and they who are, who's their front person it's rudy giuliani right. who's five million years old and looks like nosferatu and yeah it's it's not going to happen. It's already I'm, been decided. Um, yeah. Even even Fox News has pretty much bailed on Trump. So yeah, did you see the Laura Ingram thing where she's like, Donald Trump, if he steps down, will be so powerful. His legacy will just be so powerful. Like, like she was, Christ himself, right? Yeah, um, yeah. She was. I mean, she was like talking to him like a baby, trying to. She wasn't talking to him. She was talking to people in general, but she mm -hmm. was about Trump, but it was very clear she was talking to Trump indirectly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was weird to see her doing that. I'm going to push back, though, Matt, on something really important. I don't agree with you that Giuliani looks like Nosferatu. And I think okay. that we compared Biden to Nosferatu, and that's a much better resemblance. So we got to think about what Giuliani looks like. And in fact, viewers and listeners, if we don't come up with this by the end of the episode, I would like viewers and listeners to contribute their ideas. Yeah, I probably overused that comparison just because anybody who has an overbite probably looks like Nosferatu to me, but yeah. yeah. Uh, what do we got for isn't that terrible? Okay, so Dan, if we could open up this article, I mean, the headline kind of says it all, but reading from uh, Business Insider, a mayor in Peru was accused of lying in a coffin and pretending to be dead to avoid being caught disobeying lockdown orders. That's a good one. It's a good one, right? Police in Peru say a small town mayor attempted to dodge capture for flouting lockdown orders by hiding in a coffin and pretending to be a corpse. Jaime Rolando Urbina Torres, the mayor of Tantara, a rural district in Castro Bireina, was out drinking with his friends, just kidding, with his friends. <laughs> with his friends Monday night when police 
Kame to enforce a curfew. Sorry. The Evening Standard reported by the time authorities arrived, though, Torres was lying in an open casket pretending to be a coronavirus fatality with nice. his eyes tightly closed and a mask over his face. His friends hid in drawers in the same room. Nice photo. Look at that. No, we got a photo. And so, just in case people can't see it, if you're just listening, uh, the guy is lying in a coffin, in an open casket, and has a mask over his face. It looks more like a construction worker mask than anything else. Officers were able to rouse Torres and take the group to the station for questions, so it's unknown if charges were filed. Police later released a photograph of Torres in the coffin. So, I don't know. I think he started out as irresponsible, of course, in terms of his behavior around the lockdown. But maybe he over maybe he compensated for it with this visual, which really shows the potential lethality of coronavirus. Right. Although it was actually, no, it was, me- it was messaging actually. Yeah. Except you know what? He undid that because of the mask. He undermined right. the potential messaging. Although I'm, I'm, a, it's mixed because I'm glad he put on the mask. Well, otherwise it would have been obvious he was breathing. So. Oh yeah, you're right. He's a, this is a very resor- I mean, if anything, I would reelect him because he's fast on his feet. I think from now on, people should they, they should just start putting live rats or bats in down the pants of people who who are oh yeah, it's like, a good lying idea lying around in coffins just to make sure that they're actually dead. Or you take off the mask and put it in the mouth, which is remember that happened to the guy who fell into the the a hole in the pavement in New York, and his brother right. was, was saying he couldn't scream. Yeah, because the, the, the rats could come into his mouth. Rats were going into his mouth. That's, that's odd that we've had two two references. In, in a, well, one we created. Sure. Well, we created one of them. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You're like, what a coincidence that we've been reading all these rat mouth stories. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like a diss that Biden would make. That sounds like a name uh, Biden would call uh, a resistant voter. Right. Right. What rat was mouth. the other one? Yeah. Fat. Listen, listen, rat mouth. Listen, listen rat mouth. fat rat mouth. Stony eyed. What was the pony thing? The lying dog face pony soldier. Yeah. Lying dog face rat mouth pony soldier. Yeah. Maybe we should uh, look for a, a new kind of uh, product, like a cattle prod type of thing. Yeah. That uh, security personnel could carry just in case you might have a politician pretending to be a corpse. Right. To evade lockdown procedures. Just make sure. Just check. Yeah, you have it. Yeah. Right. So like a le- like a ta- like a light taser. Like a heavy taser. No, because <laughs> those can kill people. We don't want to do that. No, I mean like oh. a cat, like a cattle prod, like something right. that'll you know that will make him leap out of the coffin if he right. actually do it. You know, what as I mean? long as they have masks on, because if they don't have masks on, you don't want you want to do you don't want to expose yourself if you're the electricianer, electrocutor. Electrocutor. Uh, yeah. No, probably not. It would have to be a pretty long implement then. It would have to yeah. be a socially distancing cattle prod. Yeah, exactly. Like a right. six six foot cattle prod. Let's do it. Or, we can or, try- or, or, or mayor prod, if you mayor will. prod. I like that. Right. M M prod M P M prod. All right. For isn't that weird? Uh, it's not really a story. It's just more of a general observation. I was looking at a lot of these. Uh, like looking up weird news, and a lot of them were these sort of inspirational animal stories. You know, and one of them, here's the story. The story is goat who has best friend, loses best friend, and is uplifted by the presence of other goats, right? That's the story, right? So, Dan, if we could see this video. 
See, it's a goat with a broken heart finds strength in friendship, okay? This is this is the story. I remember meeting Halbert and Darius when they lived at Melrose. Darius is this beautiful uh, cream-colored Nubian, just like Halbert is. He has really long, soft ears. And they lived in one of the pens, and they would always come to the edge of the fence when people were walking by, and they'd both put their feet up on the fence and look over the gate and they'd run up and down the length of the fence playing with you. Over time we started to notice that Darius was developing this really firm growth on his leg. We took him to Cornell um, and it wasn't going to be easily fixable. He was starting to lose mobility in his hind end. We tried physical therapy with him. We tried wheelchairs. Sorry, I knew I was gonna cry. And we tried really hard to get him back to a point where he would be with us for a, a little bit longer. I had to make the decision to let Darius go. We've seen companions <laughs> die of a broken heart. And I was really worried that that was gonna happen with Halbert. He had started cuddling with Chucky, and then I started to notice the Gilmore girls following Halbert out to the pasture. A little while after that, I started to notice that Aretha Goat would break underneath the gate to come over here to cuddle with Halbert. So now Halbert, who used to just be Halbert and Darius, is now Halbert, Chucky, Lorelai, Rory, Paris, Lane, and Aretha. <laughs> so it's a very happy ending. Okay, first of all, what, why, why do you want to cancel this person? Because that's a totally irresponsible... You don't put a, an animal down because it's not mobile. Really? Put it in a... No, put it in a... Um, what's the thing called? I can't believe I can't f remember this word. Uh, wheelbarrow. Like a, like a wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrow. What, that's just lazy. It's not like the, the animal is dying of cancer or dying of some painful disease. I think it is actually dying of cancer. Well, that wasn't revealed. Oh, yeah. But you see, the reason she put it down, there was no indication that it was in pain or it didn't want to go on. It sounds like she's just a lazy goatkeeper. She's a gatekeeper, too. She's a gatekeeper when it comes to life. Mm -hmm. Right, she made that decision. All I want to say is I'm, I'm I've, I've reached my limit with animal friendship stories. Like, I think, I think in order to get an actual equilibrium journalistically, we got to have for every one of those, we got to have more of these. Dan, if we could sh see Komodo dragons eating uh, cute furry deer. No, I'm not gonna look. <laughs> like. Now he's like, ouch. Oh my God, I don't want to hear that noise. All right, then if we can go to like 56 seconds is when you, when you start to see the actual denouement here. I took my, I can't look and I can't hear. It's like six Komodo dragons just tearing that thing to pieces. What? There's some They're animal so friendship ugly. for They're you. They're like reptilian sharks. They need to be put down. If only that woman <laughs> could go and do the, to, to them what she did to Darius. Look at that one, he's so psyched, he's got a big piece. I'm just looking at Matt's face instead of the video. We we have to, no, seriously though, damn, we have to, I'm not joking, like we gotta put in a trigger warning.
I mean, come on. If, if this is, you know, if we're going to have balance in journalism. I see what you're saying. Right. You're right. I mean, right. We can't go too far in one direction. Well, no, I mean, actually, if we're going to be real about it, there should be like 5,000 of those for every yeah, one right. of like, you know, go, go with a broken heart comes back to life. You know, I, I just can't I can't do the uh, the animal friend thing anymore. I mean, like, is it an Internet phenomenon? Like if, you, if you've been on the Internet yeah. for X number of years, like when you've seen, I don't know, 11 and a half thousand of them. Is that when it happens? It, might, it, it just happened to me. So I think the dodo website is very responsible for that. Although I shouldn't tell you that because now you're going to use your journalism to try to shut them down. Well, or to create, you know, odd odd or something like that to, to counter, counter it. Counter dodo. Oh, odd odd. Right. I see that. That yeah, was very yeah. fast of you. All right. So that that was the four food groups for this week. A little strange. We're, we're in an odd mood, you know. Uh, we're in a new paradigm. This whole like post-election thing, like I don't think we know what to think about anything Yeah. right now. Well, Really excited to have coming back to the show, none other than Thomas Frank, Tom Frank to friends, author of several really important books. Most recently, The People Know, which is the history of anti-populism. Also, one of my favorite books, Listen Liberal, which I think explains Democrats in, a, in one. It's probably one of, in my opinion, the best books to understand the Democrats. And also more his his, story, his book that was much more covered by the media for reasons you can probably understand by the liberal media is What's the Matter with Kansas, which looks at why um, people vote for Republicans despite it them despite their policies which don't help them and which actually harm them. All right, so let's talk to Thomas Frank. Welcome, Thomas. Welcome, Tom. Welcome, T. Frank. Back to the show. So excited to have you back on. Uh, you wrote a really interesting piece that I think is pretty, uh, would be pretty helpful to the Dems. Um, ah, yeah. For the Guardian. <laughs> and the thesis is basically, yes, Trump is gone, but uh, Trumpism isn't gone. And if the Democrats don't start change direction, they will, uh, well, two things. One is that the Democrats created Trump and Trumpism by kind of shifting right, abandoning the working class, embracing meritocracy. Well, right. I, I, I like the phrase used. They embraced high-minded, white-collar rectitude. Yeah, that's a good word, rectitude. Yeah, great. Whenever, and whenever you can get rectitude in, that, that, you're always doing well. High-minded, white-collar rectitude. Well, that's the there world that I live in. That's like a suburban Washington. That's, that, people are so fucking good. You know, I, I, I just in the last couple of years, I've, I've gotten so I've gotten so sick of goodness, you know, and it's funny. I, I always considered myself a pretty good, a good person yeah. and ni a nice person who like tried to teach my kids how to be good humans and everything. I'm so sick of goodness. It's, you know, it's just like you overdose on it. It's like with Obama, we overdosed on hope. And I'm just like, I've had enough of, you know, those yard signs. We've talked about these before. The yard signs that try to list all the liberal causes. You know what I'm talking about? I haven't Every, seen and, those, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. What, like love you? over, like love trumps hate? Yeah, no, no. It, they list a whole bunch of causes. So it's, and they're, each one is in a different color. So you can tell them apart. And it says like, no human is illegal. Um, women's rights are human rights. Uh, oh, God. And then it's got Hillary, some new ones. Hillary they, quote. Yeah, and then they add they add lines to it all the time. Oh, si science is real, or something like that. And then, um, uh, and then they add lines to it like water is life or something like that. So they and I wrote about it in um, 
in uh, the people know because they never mentioned labor on this side. They've, right. they've oh, tried right. to list every cause, but they yeah. never mentioned the sort of essential one, right? But, right? but it's just like that overdose, you know, you're going around the suburban neighborhood. And I, I used to take pictures of these every time I saw one in front of a McMansion, you know, like a really right. ostentatious, really garish, you know, house. And, um, and it's just like, I, I'm just so sick of that. Like all the goodness in the world resides in these couple little blocks of Bethesda, Maryland, <laughs> you know, and it's just, Ooh. Well, it's also doesn't win over anyone, right? It like doesn't win over but anyone. It's not, it's not, not meant to Katie. Us. That's the thing. Right. It's, it's, it's not politics like you and I think of politics. It's something else. It's politics as, uh, uh, uh you know, as, it, it's a little uh, well it's, it's a dopamine signaling. hit it's a yes yeah. it's like i i am so awesome and i am so much better than everybody else but it's also um complacency this is these are very very wealthy people uh with these signs these are you know this is the whole democratic push they're going to win over the affluent suburbs you know right and uh and these are very wealthy people who now uh, uh in addition to being by the way and think about this historically okay a hundred years ago or more than that Rich people felt a certain amount of guilt and mm. vulnerability for who they were, you know, and they, they were always afraid that the class war was coming and they knew that they were ultimately in the wrong in a democracy to try to, you know, marry into European aristocracy like the Vanderbilts did or whatever the hell it is, you know, whatever the rich people were doing in the 1880s, they knew it was it, 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 it rubbed the democratic sensibility the wrong way. It was it gnawed at their conscience but these modern day um super rich people are like no we're not only richer than you we're better than you right we have we, there's conscience what do you mean you're the ones you know it's you people right. in the shitty parts of town you're the ones that that have to be you know that have to feel bad about yourself by the way last time i talked to you guys i was in kansas city and i and it's a very wealthy part of kansas city as i mean it's nothing compared to the two coasts anymore. But when I was growing up, it was a, a, a very wealthy area. And um, yeah, went for Biden for the first time. It went Democratic for the first time since 1916. Mm -hmm. wow. So over 100 wow. years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, can we can we talk about this? Because I, I've, I got in a little bit of trouble after the election, talking about the, you know, the shift in who who's electorates who has what electorate now right and it feels like the trump voter i mean the, uh, to me the class difference is pretty apparent that the that the democrats have become basically the party of the professional class they're an upscale urban yeah but there, party. Matt, there's no there's no doubt about that but 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 then but when you say that though they throw statistics back at you and they, and 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 they say okay well this is the this is the income level of the person who voted for this party versus the person right. who voted for that party. Um, I but, am here to explain that for you. That is okay. That is something I have written about before. It was over ten years ago, and it's it's been remarkably consistent. So the Democrats, if you look at the income breakdown, they do really well with the very top sort of bracket. And they do really well with the very bottom bracket. Uh, that tends to be, you know, people who are very poor or who are unemployed or who are, you know, um, handicapped or elderly uh, who don't have a, you know, a, a, a stable source of income. And those tend to be pretty reliable Democratic voters. And then you've got the the people at the very top. The uh, 
uh, sort the, of Bob what, Ribbon types. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the people we're talking about in Bethesda or, or in Johnson County, Kansas or whatever. And uh, the, it's the, you know, working class tends to be people in the middle, but Matt, this is uh, I mean, but look, there's also differences by race and by gender, which are becoming more or less uh, severe depending on how you look at it. So the uh, uh, women are trending towards the democratic party, uh, and it was, I mean, when Trump got one in 2016, it was the white working class that, that really did it for him. But now you see him making these, by the way, and we should talk about this, you see him making these inroads with other, which I did not think he would be able to do, making inroads with um, Latinos and, and black working class people, which is surprising to me, given what, a, what an asshole he is, you know. Yeah, what do you yeah. think that's about? <sighs> A bunch of different things. Uh, I think uh, one of them is uh, is certainly his um, the immigration stance. Uh, one of them is uh, the oil thing. So the, if you the, you remember those those Texas counties along the Rio Grande where uh, they're uh, you know overwhelmingly Latino. Now I've only Next just I, I haven't County, been yeah. there. I, I don't know any people that live there, but I've read news stories about it. These are these are places that that produce a lot of oil and natural gas or natural gas anyway. And uh, yeah, and they were frightened by. Um, you know, Biden saying he was going to crack down on fossil fuels or whatever, mm -hmm. so. which yeah. is to say that people have interests, you know, that are uh, that are all over the map. And you can just never generalize about, you know, about people. Uh, it astonishes. So I've been saying to get us back to the article, I've been saying all these years, Trump is a, uh, you know, there's something wrong with him, in my opinion, his, his in my opinion, his I've never met him. I don't think his brain works right. <laughs> you know, I don't think I'm going out on a limb here to say that there's something wrong with him. He's not a good politician. He's really bad at the kind of, you know, retail politics that a guy like Biden grew up doing. Trump is Trump sucks at it. But He's, isn't that a strength also cuz doesn't that make him seem like outside of politics as usual? Yes, but you you know what remember what he was doing in 16 insulting every group out there. Right. Yeah, exactly. What kind of, what kind of idiot does that? You know, he could, he could have, he, go ahead. I was gonna say he could have won a lot of those those voters, you know, and, and instead he's like, you know, calling Mexicans names like what kind of idiot right. runs for high office and does that? That's so dumb. And um, even in this, uh, in this last election cycle, just I mean, with with covid, if he had just not said things like, well, it, it's only killing old people. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Like He's if he, so if he had just stands, he, he just gave away a whole constituency. Like yeah. if, he, if he hadn't done that, you know, if, if it wasn't for that weakness of his, which is yep. like per, uh, embedded in his personality. So the, I've always said, like, look, the uh, the next Trump is not going to make these mistakes. And the next Trump is going to is actually like the one to look out for. That's where they you know, the the danger lies is when you get a real politician who who has uh you know um uh, opportunistically just snatched up the trump agenda uh like a ted cruz or something like that and and someone like that's going to be um hard to stop you know and uh anyhow that what surprises me is that it's already started with trump you know with trump himself i'm i'm astonished at how well he did uh this year so i guess the question is what happens with the Democratic Party, are they are they going to take this result and say, okay, we got the White House back, we're on the right track? Yeah, like of course they. I mean, are. is is that what it's going to be? Or <laughs> well, they're going to do what they've always done, in my opinion, uh, which is the, the these are people who are their complacency is is uh, it just bowls you over. They are 
they really don't think they have to serve any of their constituencies. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real happy to be proven wrong. You know, when Joe Biden comes in there and he's another Franklin Roosevelt or he uses his magical Lyndon Johnson powers, you know, <laughs> you know, he was in the Senate all those years. You know, he has those right. skills uh, right. when he does when he when he's able to, like, uh, you know, sweet talk Mitch McConnell into getting <laughs> his agenda passed. Uh, then I will be so happy to be proven wrong. But so I wrote this article in The Guardian, okay, about about, uh, you know, Biden, Biden wins, um, uh, you know, and then in sort of tongue in cheek offering advice to the Democrats to what to do, uh, you know, knowing, of course, that they will never do anything that I'm suggesting. It's just a it's just a sort of a, a way of, of framing uh, the argument about Democrats. And uh, what I said was that. Uh, you know, we should take a cue from in this last year we've been this has been a year for um, icon smashing mm -hmm. and tearing down of statues. And the, uh, the Democrats could use a dose of that. One of the things that I don't know about you. So I've you know, I, I've spent a lot of time reading the. You remember this book. I spent a lot of time reading the sort of history of the Democratic yeah. Party, you know, reading all the Demo the Democratic Leadership Council magazines back in the 90s. And oh, my God. Yeah. 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 No, I have a whole collection of them over here. Wow. All of their memoirs. I have like uh, Gary Hart's, you know, I have all this, this shit. This is what I used to spend my time. That's got to be some hard reading. Well, you know, it's yeah, but you got it. I used to do it with the conservatives, too. You know, I have this incredible collection of conservative literature. Like I have Richard Richard Vigory's magazine. I have, nice. I don't know, like a hundred copies of it from the 80s. And yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to um, to, to stand. <laughs> but Republicans somebody's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're going to write a history of these people, you got to do it. So, so my idea is that the Democrats should take a page from this this year of iconoclasm and smash their own, you know, heroes and take their own heroes to task and you know look at their own past and see where they've gone wrong. Now they're never in a million years going to do it. For right. them, all of this iconoclasm flows only in one direction, and that's you know towards somebody else, right? But uh, but it needs, they need to look in the mirror and, and, uh, and examine their own past as well. And the first thing they're going to discover when they do that is that basically uh, the, the, the faction that controls the Democratic Party now, you know, the sort of Clinton faction, uh, the centrist, you know, what's left of the Democratic Leadership Council, these people, they basically set the table for Trumpism. This is what made Trumpism possible. I mean, the idea that the Republican Party, when we were kids, the idea that the Republican Party would go around calling itself a workers party, that's, that's nuts. That's, that's, it's like that would have been contrary to like, you know, you know, you're on the wrong planet, mister, or you're in the wrong country. And, uh, and they do it now with total impunity. And they do it with like, not only with impunity, with success. You know, they, they get votes this way. I was just talking to a a guy from Japan, uh, he comes over every couple of years to, uh, to, you know, to see how America is doing. He's, you know, he's very curious about America. And he was saying, well, you know, in Japan, working class people vote for the more left of the party, <laughs> you know, right. because that's what they do in, everywhere in the world. That's normal. Here we've been doing this different thing. We've been on this experiment, as I call it, this 30-year experiment where the Democrats said, no, we don't want to be that party anymore. By the way, and they, they said this openly, that's all that, that Democratic Leadership Council literature from the 80s and the Gary Hart memoirs and the 
you know, all those books that they put out. I, I should pull them off the shelf and you, so I could show off. So, so you guys are actually interested in this crap. The neoliberals, the exciting new trend in politics in 1984. Wow. <laughs> and that's not a critical book, I'm assuming. Oh, no, no, no. That's like yeah. about how awesome they are. Yeah. Reinventing government. This was going to be the manual for the incoming Clinton administration. So do you see it's all about- Oh, yeah, well, this is all like running government like a business kind of a thing? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. this I is Democrats. It. This is Democrats, mind yeah. you. This is not Republicans. This is Democrats. Uh, anyhow, there's, uh, t- I've got tons of it. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's the foundation though of, of our whole, because, you know, they, they've now brought- the Bill Crystals and David Frum's back oh into God. the fold, right? And now, yeah. now the that... tra- the transformation is now kind of complete. Like it's they've they've it's this is like the 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 latest version of RoboCop that you know that it's got all the kink the kinks out. You know what I mean? Like you know they've 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 gone back to what they I think what they wanted to be all along, which is a a national security uh, focused sort of arch capitalist. Yeah, uh, professional class party. But right? this is this is happening before oh. our eyes. So that you know, that just so for a reminder to your viewers who who tend to be, I think, tend to be younger because younger people understand computers. <laughs> pe- people like me are like like we get our information from books and shit. Right. The, 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 <laughs> uh, the Democratic Party used to be when we were kids was very 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 closely identified with organized labor. <laughs> They were they were joined at the hip. I mean, that's that's who funded the party. That's who voted for the party. That's what they were all about. And then in the 80s and 90s, the Democratic, you know, the the sort of big thinkers of the Democratic Party decided that's not who they wanted to be anymore. They wanted to reach out to different constituencies and they. um, Now, why did they do that, though? Because they'll tell you it was because they got beat so badly in 84. Yeah, but that's not a good enough reason. I mean, this has been 30 years now. They, they, they'll say that, and they'll, but, it, you know, that's actually, they would say this all the time. They'd also say because they got beat in 72 and because they got beat in 80. But, in fact, uh, in all of these elections, the guy who got beat specifically, Jimmy Carter was one of these, like, new Democrat. He was a proto-new Democrat. He was a proto-neoliberal. Uh, George McGovern, sorry to say, was also one of those. I mean, he's a guy that I really admire, but uh, he was, you know, the only place he won was Massachusetts. Do you remember this? Mm-hmm. It was a, it, it was an early experiment in the, you know, turn your backs on organized labor. It was, it was in the middle of this kind of democratic civil war, but uh, labor didn't endorse him. The AFL-CIO didn't endorse McGovern and uh, McGovern did really well with the highly educated. It was a, an early sort of um, taste of where they are today. It was an early sort of, exp- uh, you know, experimental run and it, it's odd because mcgovern actually was a really good guy um and Is, poor was walter he a mondale no, was he, no, not, no, no, not no, really, he wasn't he wasn't not, really. he was, no but he was anti-war but he wasn't he wasn't a labor guy he wasn't like yeah that's right um you know i, I think who, who had the labor support that time was it musky yeah, that, something like that. But it was it, this was in a period of where they were there was just this incredible infighting in the Democratic Party, and so they uh, the, he was identified as this candidate of what they called the new politics, even though that wasn't really fair to McGovern. Uh, but that's that's what he was. That's how he was identified. And, Acid um, amnesty and anarchy. That's what they <laughs> and abortion, that, I believe. Was, yeah. Was that but also was, because the dem, the more centrist Dems, corporatish Dems, although they weren't called that then, there, right? There, um, were, there weren't many of them yet at the time. Okay. This was all. This was all a glimmer in you know Bill Clinton's eye. 
back then, is there, or, or Gary Hart's eye, or however you want to put it. But there was this new generation of Democrats coming up at the time, and they, you know, they they had all these different names for them: the Atari Democrats, the neoliberals. Uh, but they were going to be, they were going to identify the party with um, white collar people, and specifically in like information age professions. You know, the whole they fell in love with the idea of the post-industrial society, and. Uh, what what comes out of this what's really interesting about this is you know there's nothing really wrong with that with identifying you know saying yeah look um, we're moving in this in this in in this particular economic direction the problem is identifying with the winners rather than the working class you know that's really strange and you see that going on right now in California where they identify you know like it was democrats that got that prop what was it prop 22 22 yes yeah, and that's it was Demo Kamala democrats Harris's did that and Kamala Harris's brother-in-law helped do that, and that's an awful, awful thing that really yeah. erodes the rights but of. They, like, but that's workers. they identify they identify with the yeah. the Silicon Valley companies rather than the people so who work gross. for them. Yeah. So that's that's a fundamental shift there. Anyhow, this has been going on for a long time, and it's sort of it's 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 most uh, 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 if you read this party literature that I'm talking about, the most successful sort of exemplar of it was Bill Clinton, the Clinton administration, and. Um, you know, when I was writing Listen Liberal, I, it, Clinton is a big part of it. And I decided I would, I would read only books that were flattering to Clinton, right. authors that <laughs> I admired, people that thought he was great. So none of the conspiracy literature, none of the like Wall Street Journal stuff. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you remember how they hounded him? Mm -hmm. So I didn't read any of that. I only read books that were favorable to him, books by people who thought Bill Clinton was. And oddly guy. enough, some of those journal people turned out to be big uh, hatch, hatchet folks for Hillary later on, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. Like Glenn <laughs> but Citizen you didn't read books by people who thought he murdered, uh, uh right. Vince Foster. Foster. Yeah. Foster, none of that. Yeah. None of that. None of that. Or that he was a drug runner or any of right. that. None of that. So, so it was just, it was books that books probably. that admired him and they would say, what are Clinton's great achievements? Uh, and there's five of them. You remember this? So there, what's his great achievements? Uh, NAFTA bank deregulation, welfare, well, reform. welfare reform, the crime bill of 94 balancing the, the balance budget. the balanced budget mm -hmm. right all five of these sucked <laughs> and when now that you look back at them all five of them are disasters all five of them were reaganism by the way all right. five of them were inherited from republicans basically clinton got the reagan agenda done when reagan couldn't do it and um and how much of this was Donor driven. Uh, at the time, Republicans were still massively out raising Democrats. It's now the tables have turned now, but Clinton is the one who uh, famously it was under Clinton that that Wall Street started to change size. So again, when Reagan was president, Wall I mean the Wall Street was the most Republican constituency in America. You know, big banks, finance, you know. But under Clinton, they started to change size, and again, this too was like a cause for celebration. You know, there's a whole book about this, about how wonderful this is, that, uh, you know, that Clinton is, Clinton marks the end of the trend that began with William Jennings Bryan. When, remember when we talked last time, yeah. or two times ago, or whenever it was, Bryan is when the Democratic Party shifts to the left, when he gets up there and denounces the gold standard and the banks and all that. That's when the Democratic Party becomes a party that is you know, like noticeably more to the left than the Demo than the Republicans. And that lasted up to Bill Clinton. And Bill Clinton, like, uh, uh, ends that. He's the end of that. Uh, and he reaches out to Wall Street, deregulates these guys, at the same time as he cracks down on uh, poor people, you know, with right. the crime bill of 94, specifically black poor people. 
And uh, so these two things go hand in hand. You have liberation for finance. By the way, you, you tell me to shut up when you want me no, to no, shut no, up. No, 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 no. This is all great. Yeah. Liberation for finance and, and uh, discipline for, for working right. people. And right. this, is dem- this is Democrats that did this. I mean, the Republicans tried, but Clinton went much further than, uh, than the Republicans did. And that began the shift. And so what I say in the article is like, if you want to understand how it's possible for Donald Trump to win, you know, these working class areas and to win these sort of hard done by cities and, you know, what are all the, the, the sort of the places in Ohio and Pennsylvania that are just ruined and they're voting for a Republican. Uh, you know, if you want to understand why that's happening, you have to go back and look at what the Democrats did. And you have to, if you want to, if you want to do something about it, if you want to stop Trumpism, and we should talk about this in a minute, but if you ask me, Biden's number one agenda item has to be the pandemic, but his number two agenda item has to be stopping Trumpism. This has to stop. If you want to stop it, there's, there's only one way, and that is you have to somehow break his grip on that constituency, that formerly Democratic constituency. And that actually would not be that hard. It, you know, it really wouldn't. Okay. Just, just to interject all quickly, because the, 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 the response to that, I think the conventional wisdom response to that would be, well, actually, those votes started to shift over to Republicans because of busing, because, because of LBJ, uh, you know, embracing the Civil Rights Act, and there's nothing we can do about it. Well, I don't know about the Civil, America- Civil Rights Act. That's the South. That's a, that's a different question. That's sure. Uh, but the, the South was gone even before that, in my opinion. That that's you know, like Goldwater carried the South. Um, Strom Thurmond beat Truman in the South. The uh, the South was the South was gone, and and if Democrats thought they could hold on to it, they were crazy. But that was the Democratic Leadership Council used to always say this: the Democrats can't win without the South. Uh, but that's uh, that was wrong because uh, they didn't they weren't uh, they didn't understand that California would flip eventually. Mm. I mean, sorry, they, we're getting into the weeds here. the The real turning point was the Vietnam War. Uh, busing was big in some places, like you're in Boston, right, Matt? I was. Yeah, yeah. I mean that was huge um, you know remember that what's that that great book about the busing well, is it uh is yeah. it common ground anthony lucas yeah so yeah that was important but uh, you know and the and the culture war you know and i wrote about this in what's the matter with kansas the culture war issues are are hugely important but uh and and i don't think that democrats can 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 go back on that uh and i don't think that democrats should bid for the bigot vote by the way that's one of the things that 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 bill clinton did you know and sure. when when you talk about why we need to like cancel you know new democrats th- that's what the crime bill was that's what welfare reform was that was a bid for the bigot vote Ricky I mean, Ray, that, was, that was the centrist faction of the democratic party that did that you know and now these are the same people that tell you they're all like um you know they're all woke and shit but the, this is the, these are the guys that did this. They're and woke it, in discourse to, to distract from being unwoke in policy. Well, to, to distract from what they actually did 20 years ago, you know. I mean, Men are the, doing now, right? welfare reform, that was a monstrous deed. That was, that was cruel. And, uh, you know, that's the only New Deal program that's ever been completely um, uh, overturned. What's, what's the word? It's, I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. It's, uh, it's Dismantled? gone. Dismantled? Yeah. 
uh, and that's and that was that was that was Bill Clinton's big bid for the uh, the sort of bigot vote. And uh, I mean, one of the biggest myths that lets that happen, right, is the the way that they separate economic issues from racial justice issues as if they're mutually exclusive instead of actually quite related, right? Yes, but uh, but what what we're talking about is like, can can those people be won back? And I think the answer is obviously yes, because people people do ultimately vote their economic interests if there is a real option on the table and it's clear, you know, it's, you know, clearly understood. Everybody knows what the stakes are. And it's especially possible if, if they're members of a union, uh, you know, the, you, there's this weird thing that you, there's this effect that unions have just being a member, you know, getting the newsletter, you know, p- it changes the way people think about politics. And uh, uh, the, the obvious thing that you, that you do if you're Biden and you want to stop Trumpism, God, make it easy to join a union again. Let that happen all over America, you know, and don't do shit like Prop 22 in California. Another thing, you know, I think about this all the time. I, I wrote a story for The Guardian a couple of years ago where I went to Walt Disney's hometown. It's north of Kansas City. It's in Missouri. And, and then after, and, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's like all small towns in Missouri. And then I went to the county seat of the county that it's located in. And, you know, it's a disaster. You walk down their main street and everything's boarded up. And their local newspaper's gone. And, you know, people are really, really, really struggling in these places. And what's the Democrats, uh, you know, what do the Democrats say to them? You know what they say, because Rahm Emanuel said it just the other day. He's the worst. Those jobs aren't coming back, which is, you know, it's like you just lost their vote. Nice going. And B, it's wrong. It's just flat wrong. There's all sorts of things that you can do to, to make those places, you know, have an economy. Again, it just it, it burns me up that they, they don't even try. They're so um, lost in this this Silicon Valley fantasy of theirs, you know, this new economy fantasy of theirs that they can't imagine, you know, the, you know, 100 million of the people in the country that they want to rule are, are suffering. And they like there's nothing we can do about that. Like what the what kind of politician says that it just so- blows those people off. What are the ulterior motives for them? Like what, how, how is this in their own self-interest? They just don't, they don't, they don't want to do anything for those people. They don't, they don't, you know, they're not interested in that. They're interested in these other things. Uh, These are not like particularly uh, brilliant people we're talking about here. You know, they, like Obama was a great speaker. I thought he was a brilliant guy, but I don't think these are um, overall, you know, particularly creative or bold thinkers. Um, they don't. They don't really do anything. You know, this is one of the things. That's, uh, as a, uh, someone who votes for Democrats and is a very liberal person, watching the Republicans in office push the boundaries on everything. You know, Trump shattering right. norms. Trump signing those executive orders. Trump. You know, er, all, and look what he's doing right now. You know, pushing the boundaries on 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 uh, the transition. Um, you know, and we'll talk about that later. I'm sure, but. They're, they're constantly uh, coming up with some new way of challenging the system. And the Democrats don't do that. They're utterly complacent. And, um, you know, the well, thing is that it would not – the bottom line is this. It wouldn't be that hard to figure out what you have to do to get the rural economy of this country going again. It's really not that tough. I mean, you smash the uh, agricultural monopolies to begin with. You go after the other monopolies, you know. Uh, you know, like in these towns, you know, Walmart's put every main street in 
Kansas and Missouri out of business, you make them not do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't part of your thesis in Listen Liberal that Obama is smart, right? Isn't your thesis well, that he, it's he, not Obama that is, yeah, obj objectively, he's, yeah, he's, but not he's even kind that, of a genius, yeah. Not even that, that they are very, this is a very self-interested approach, right? It's not that they need to abandon, you know, like the narrative, of course, is that Republicans don't let them do things, but they don't want to do these things, right? Exactly. It's not their, they, in their worldview, these people are ultimately, you know, to blame for their own fate. You know, these are when the, the whole shift to the sort of a white collar professional class. This is bigger than just um, winning elections in in fancy suburbs. This is who the Democrats understand. This is how they understand themselves. It's how they understand, you know, the world. And they look at other, you know, white collar professionals and they say, well, these people deserve what they have. They went to good schools. Right. They did. They did well. They got, you know, high SAT scores. They did. They got, uh, you know, a, a great, you know, grade point average or whatever the hell it is, and they deserve what they have. But these people in, uh, you know, farmers or people in small towns or uh, blue collar workers somewhere, um, they didn't do those things. They didn't work hard in school. You know, they didn't follow this career trajectory that signifies merit. Uh, and so their fate is something that they deserve, in a way. And at the same time, you know, the, the 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 this is this is the other side of the coin when they're going to these you know these Wall Street guys that gave us the global financial crisis, and and refusing to prosecute them because these are great guys. These are the these are the best and the brightest. You don't prosecute those people. You give them another chance. Don't they also reap? Re uh, material benefits, though, can you talk about that? Like, they, it's not just ideology, right? They actually get things out of this. Well, of course, it's 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 always good to be. It's always better to be the party that you know identifies with the wealthy than it is to be the party that identifies with labor. You, you remember? Uh, so Harry, when Harry Truman retired, as Harry Truman's the last president that didn't go to college. When Harry Truman finished being president, he you know he went back home to uh, Independence, Missouri, which is a suburb of Kansas City. And he, uh, uh, he didn't have a pension. He didn't have a source of income and he wasn't, he, you know, he wasn't rich. And, uh, you know, he just, he moved back in with his mother-in-law <laughs> and, and the reporters, you know, followed him and they said to him, so Mr. Mr. President, you know, what's the first wow. thing you did when you got home? He's like, well, I, you know, I carried the suitcases up to the attic. <laughs> and he eventually they did set up a pension for ex-presidents just because of him because he didn't have a source of income and um he eventually started the truman library it was the first of the presidential libraries did i tell you guys about this no i didn't tell you the story well if you ever come to kansas city you got to visit it you know when COVID is done it's the first of the presidential libraries and it's one story and I think it costs like, you can look this up on Wikipedia, but I think it costs like a million and a half dollars, which Truman managed to raise, you know? Wow, and, uh, and it's like, it's like, okay, what is the Barack Obama library cost? You know, yeah, it's, like, you know, like the, you know what these things, they're, they're like, these. Yeah. Yeah, but that's just, that gives you a taste, an idea of why it's better to be the party of Wall Street than to be the party of, you know, organized of the CIO or something. It's, uh, you know, or, or look at Bill Clinton's library, which is incredibly extravagant. Uh, you know, well, the Bushes both have fancy libraries. The Trump library is going to be interesting because it's it's going to be uh, I'm opulent, looking forward to but that it one. won't have any books in it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, exactly. Bush's he favorite book is the Hungry Harry the Hungry Caterpillar. 
<laughs> That's what he said when asked. So I wonder if he just has a bunch of those copies and then some artwork of his. But the, the Clinton Library is very heavy on text. It's it's you know it's all of this this kind of white collar sensibility just in your face. Um, you can look up. They have paper records that you can look up where you can look up Bill Clinton's whereabouts at every moment, every minute of his time as president, and it fills all of these shelves. <laughs> you can wow. see where he was. Yeah. Anyhow, they're, it, it's it's they're worth visiting, but they're they're total. You know, I. I don't want to change the subject too much here, but they're just propaganda, you know, propaganda edifices that well, cost hundreds of millions of dollars. But, um, but just to anyhow. follow up on that, go, just, just quickly, I mean, you know, taking your, the thesis of the, the people know that, you know, that you wrote, I mean, can't you say that what they just pulled off is actually, it's actually pretty impressive. They threaded the needle. Uh, the D's? The D's, they 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 snuffed out the Sanders movement, and they you know they snuck past Trump back into the White House at a moment when there's yeah you know widespread uh, discontent. Isn't this exactly what their whole business model is 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 designed to pull off? Yeah, and in some ways it did function perfectly because they got their perfect guy in into the White House. I I, I was actually um you know. I thought it was going to be uh, the, I thought that the Clinton faction was going to choose Harris. I was surprised when they, they settled on Biden because I thought Biden was, uh, you know, old and infirm or appeared to be anyways. But but uh, they, yeah, they, they did it. They got their guy in and he's in some ways he's perfect for them. He's a complete continuation of everything I've been describing. This is a guy that ironically was one of the authors of the crime bill of 1994. It's a weird thing to be running that guy for president in the year, in the, you know, the great year of Black Lives Matter. It's kind of a strange move. <laughs> it's also, but it, ultimately I think they got uh, incredibly lucky this year. Uh, if it had not been for COVID, uh, I don't think Biden would have beat him. Uh, you know, Trump had, you know, Trump is an idiot, but Trump had a roaring economy. And ultimately, that's what people uh, vote on. And you take you take that away, and you've got everybody cooped up indoors in a universal pandemic. And this guy has no clue how to deal with it, and it has trouble showing empathy. And uh, you know, and and yeah, he uh, you know Trump he lost it, and and Biden got extremely lucky. Now that's but then again, you know, so many elections are decided that way, some last minute thing or some la thing in just the last six months, you know. So, you know, it's 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 a politics is not a hard and fast thing. And and who knows, as I said at the start of the show, maybe Biden will be Franklin Roosevelt. Maybe Biden will will will, you know, get in touch with his inner Lyndon Johnson and he'll be able to get this amazing progressive program right through Congress, right sneak it right by Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I mean, his but inner, I doubt it. His inner LBJ and FDR that he's been hiding for 70 years. <laughs> that, but that's the thing is he does. Uh, uh, I, I've written about this before, too. There are all of these progressives who like him. Do you know about this? There's all of these progressives here in Washington who think he's a really great guy. And exactly what you just said, he's been hiding it all this time. Oh, right, and right, now right. that he now that he gets to be his own man and, and fill his own administration, look out, world. Here comes the greatest progressives. Well, uh, wait, uh, Bernie Sanders himself said this. Yeah, well, Bernie likes going to be him. the most. <laughs> yeah, Bernie likes him and wanted to get him elected. Yeah, they're 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 friends. Uh, they're yeah, they're pals. Terrible. It was a terrible thing for the election for the primary. 
So what happens with populism going forward? I mean, obviously there are there are some Republicans who, whether it's cynicism or or whatever, are they at least see the potential in that direction, right? We saw Josh Hawley uh, on the night of the election saying the Republicans future yep. is as a working class party. Hey, there's uh, no doubt about that. I, I mean, look, if the, if the Democrats don't stop them, right? of course they're going to go that way. And but the whole genius of being a, a, a workers party is, you know, Trump was only able to win pretty much white working class votes in 16. He, he did a little better uh, in 2020 with that, you know, with, with other categories, but a smart right wing populist, a smart guy who's doing this kind of phony populist game would easily reach out to uh, all these other uh, working class voters and uh, uh, and would would probably do pretty well. And, it, and it, it wouldn't take much. You know, it wouldn't take all that much. But would, would if, if they do, if they, you know, just it just don't make Trumpian mistakes, I think. Uh, that the thing is that Trumpism is um, Trumpism is dynamic. Trumpism in the right hands is going to be really goddamn hard to stop, and that's what you know Biden has to be looking at. I guarantee you, he's not though. This is the funny thing. I write these articles, and you know, it, it's just it's a it's like a, what do you call it? A heuristic. You know, it's a way of making an argument. Where, <laughs> I, I know they're not thinking about this. I know he's not going to pull together a blue ribbon panel to say what should we do about Trumpism. Of course, he's not going to do that. <laughs> Right. You know, they're just going to do what they always do. And uh, um, what would have to happen to for him to do that? Uh, how about a, a huge defeat in the 20 in, in the yeah. midterms? But the yeah. uh, you know, look, on the other hand, maybe Biden will deliver a roaring economy and all this will be forgotten. And it'll be like the next Republican will be someone like Bob Dole, you know, <laughs> And right. just, the, the D's will just roll on and on and on. And we don't have anything to worry about. And anyhow, I'm getting out of this game anyways. I'm not writing about politics anymore. So this is the last, you know, this is my last election. And, really? Uh, what are you going to do? What are you going to move into? I, I've got so many other things to look at. Look at all them books, lady. Look at all that, huh? I'm gonna, <laughs> oh, yeah. Back to advertising. All that stuff. Well, that's, that's where I start. That's where I, I started. So, yeah. French, Sports. French that, that's what you got to do. Sports. That's an idea. You would just start a sports magazine. That's an idea. <laughs> I can be I can be the co-founder. So that's, that's really idea. where I mean when I was seven, you know, and the Kansas City Royals were good in the nineteen seventies. Oh, those were now, cool that teams. was like the last time I was really into sports. Willie Wilson. Yep. Now, it was George Brett. George Brett oh, and yeah. Hal McCray were their back Hal to back, you know. Remember yeah. his hemorrhoid story? No. You don't remember this? I, I hope this. I hope I'm not lying about this. But George Brett, uh, Katie was one of the Is great this baseball why he players. Could, he couldn't like slide when he was stealing. No, or something? He, he was going to miss a game in the World Series because of this. Oh, that's bad. And and they he had hemorrhoids, and the reporters were asking him if he was okay. And I'm uh, Dan. You might want to look this up to make sure I'm not lying. But I think his quote was something along the lines of, "No, it's all behind me now." Wow, that's like a dad. Oh, oh, that's dad, awesome. Right? That's awesome. Yeah, so it's like one of the great sports things of all time. Yeah. But my, my pain is all behind me. That's really funny. That's great. That's great. Was that's that, really I cool. hope was it was it I hope that was really when it was resolved. Um <laughs> part of your book is is or your latest book that people know argues that populism is not right wing. And I think that you know, we see a lot of discourse about right wing populism and people identifying that way. So 
what is that? Is that a co-opting of it, a hijacking of it? Is that a kind of dishonest appeal to the working class that doesn't actually isn't actually reflected in policy? I'd say um, I've been thinking about I was thinking about this today because I was watching um, Rising. You know, TV the last couple of days and I saw the word populism. Well, I just saw an article by Neil Ferguson in the Washington Post where he, you know, he used the word just in this grotesquely incorrect way that academics often do and i keep thinking it's like the it's like the pizza gate of the uh, of the intellectual elite you know it's like this myth that they've invented that they all believe and that you can't tell them you know differently yeah uh, and uh, th th this is what populism theorists. is and a lot of it is just a lot of it is just plain wrong but uh you know like the populism was not this you know uh, what they say, uh, it, it was not racist demagoguery. That's something else. You know, there's, that's racist demagoguery is what that is, you know? And, uh, you know, and, and I've been on your show and we talked about that in, in, in some detail, how the word got flipped and it, there's a whole myth that is attached to the word now, uh, where the, the word implies that, um, you know, uh, working class people are never suitable for democracy. They'll always vote for racist demagogues. And what, the people that you have to have in charge are, guess who? Yes, that's right. The white collar professional class, they always do everything right for you. And, you know, the elites are, are great and they run things fantastic and the best and the brightest and the smartest guys in the room. And uh, that's the myth that that word uh, basically encompasses. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I'm real proud of the people know, but I can't make a dent in that, uh, in that usage. I just, I can't do it. And, but look, I also, I use the word, this kind of, I, I, in what's the matter with Kansas, it was all about fake populism. Uh, I mean, there is this sense in which uh, Trump and Reagan before him and George W. Bush uh, and Newt Gingrich and all of these guys were fake populists pretending to care about working people. And, and most importantly, pretending to be, to hate the elite. I mean, Reagan, right? He talked about this all the time. Uh, Nixon, Pat Buchanan, they all talked about this, how much they hated the elite. And what did they mean by the elite? Well, they meant like TV anchorman, you know, they right. meant, you know, the uh, news media and stuff like Sean that. Penn. Yeah, stuff like Hollywood, you know? Yeah, they hate they hated the elite. But at the same time, these guys were were the, you know, uh, uh, doing the bidding of the Koch brothers and, right. you know, uh, Even Wall and, Street. And, and it's funny that Pat Buchanan would always appear on the McLaughlin group. Yeah. Yeah. But he had this kind of, you know, uh, uh, sort of proto Trump, you know, Trump s steals a whole lot of his uh, uh, message and his mannerisms and everything from Pat Buchanan. But if you remember that TV show, Buchanan always was the guy that had the sort of gruff, uh, you know, sort of, uh, I mean, sort of Trumpism before Trump, the way that he talked was kind of vulgar and uh, like talk like a tough guy yeah. and this kind of thing. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an act. It's a kind of workerist act that these people did and do. I mean, it's look, it's not a coincidence that Ronald Reagan is the only union president that's ever been elected president of the United States, the Screen Actors Guild. Uh, but, you know, Reagan knew that language. Reagan knew yeah. how to fake it, that 1930s language, that Frank Capra stuff. And he did a great job faking it. Isn't this incarnation of, of Republicans in the Trump era, though, aren't they? It feels to me like they're a little bit more willing to go in the direction of. So so Buchanan was 
the his big concrete nod to, to populism was protectionism right right but the pops would, weren't protectionists this is the thing that drives it's like no, you no. can you can argue about that but so this is like just in this is this new i saw a newspaper article in the post the other day where it said you know all populists are protectionists and then the a guy was yeah. listing populists and he doesn't list any actual populists but he does list william jennings bryan well dude William Jennings Bryan was a huge free trader. All oh. farmers are. Farmers are always free traders. That you know, that it's like how can the post and it's like where's the fact checker? Where's the fucking Pinocchios for this article, you know? Who's right. going to you know, it just it's like they can say anything they want about history. Maybe that, it's not populism, maybe it's well, just No, no, a, but Matt, a class you're, you're on to something there because you can make the argument that NAFTA and these other things are not really free trade. NAFTA is, uh, you know, if you ever look into it, NAFTA is 2,000 right. pages right. long. If you were going to say the tariffs between the U.S. and Mexico are, are now zero, you can do that in a single paragraph. NAFTA is 2,000 pages long because it protects all of this American investment in Mexico, and it protects big pharma, and it protects Hollywood, it protects intellectual property rights, and it sets up these tribunals to make sure that the Mexican right. government, and in fact the U.S. government, can't um, you know, regulate businesses. And so it's a supranational thing. That's not free trade. That's something else. And I, I am perfectly comfortable being a populist and saying that NAFTA sucks, you know, that right. NAFTA is a disaster. Those, those two things are, are fine. They, they go together perfectly well in my mind. So yeah, there's contradictions all over the place. <laughs> what did but Nietzsche say? I contradict myself. Big deal. Oh. <laughs> but, but labels aside, right. And like, um, classification aside, what is someone, what is protectionism combined with like bigotry or Holocaust denial, low key Holocaust denial in the case of Pat Buchanan? Is that, Oh, that's do they, fascism. There's a, okay. I, so I, that, right. I don't know about, I don't know about free trade. I mean, I don't know where fascists stood on, on trade. Uh, I mean, I have no idea actually, but, um, but Buchanan's anti-NAFTA, right? I'm not uh, defending these Yeah, no, Buchanan, these was, Buchanan was the proto-Trump. He was the first one to to force that issue into the – or was it Ross Perot? I think it was Perot, um, actually. Uh, so Perot was going after NAFTA right when it happened. So that was uh, that was 90 – was it 92? And then they had that famous debate with um, Al Gore, I think, in 93 or 94, right when they passed NAFTA. And Gore taunted him um, – uh, as being a protectionist. This is, I mean, this debate is so dishonest in so many ways. Um, but it's funny because Ross Perot turned out to be almost exactly right about NAFTA. Uh, and Buchanan is just an opportunist who he had a good issue, you know. Um, and you but know, what, his, you know, what you, you remember what Buchanan's slogan was when he ran in what was it, 96? I can't remember. What? America something first. Something German. Right. America first. Trump right. stole his slogan. And um, Trump stole everything from this guy. And, well, uh, the, the, Buchanan, the, by the way, is very happy with the results last week. Hmm. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, he's, he thinks the R's are perfectly positioned to continue, uh, you know. Well, it's his party now. They basically completely come around to his, you know, you go look back and look at his speech at their convention in 92, where he's talking about the culture war. Right. And then, you know, his stuff in 96. It, they've come around completely to Buchananism. Uh, except for the Holocaust denial stuff. Right. That's, yeah. That's, can uh, you can you be popular? I mean, the big thing, I guess, the big contradiction, right, is that and the big dishonesty is that how much can you be a populist or even a protectionist if you don't support labor movements? 
yeah. and labor unions. And so, by the way, Buchanan calls himself a populist. He, right. he embra- he embra- he's one of these guys that embraces that term. Uh, he doesn't have any right to call himself that, but he does it anyway because he knows that, that it has a noble history and the word sounds good and that kind of thing. And it's, it's anti-elite. There was a time in the 60s and 70s when it had a, uh, there was a kind of revival of it and people thought it was a good thing. Populism was a good thing and you wanted to be on board with it. Did I ever show you guys this one? No, because last time I talked to you, I was in KC. This is one of the last left-wing politicians to call himself a populist. You see that? It's, it's Fred Harris. Who's he? He's a, a senator from Oklahoma who ran for president in 76 on this proto-Bernie Sanders Huh. Uh, platform and his whole idea was to run on very 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 small campaign donations so his supporters oh, wow. held bake sales <laughs> and nice. he, he went around the country in a winnebago he did all and he would stay in people's houses and sleep on their couch and stuff and there's these hilarious if you go back and do the research these hilarious like photos of him in 76 making his campaign phone calls from a, a gas station from the payphone <laughs> <laughs> He's got a roll of dimes or whatever. But um, yeah, really great guy. Uh, I interviewed him for the book. He's still around. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that's the, just the, the last question for me is, is Buchanan's probably, the reason he's probably happy is because the the way forward for Republicans, I'm, I'm sure that what they're thinking is just keep kind of the Trumpian formula and add a thing or two, like an infrastructure employment program that... You know, it doesn't have to be big. They can just. Well, the, the most important thing is they, what they have to subtract. They have to stop being racist. Right. Yes. Well, that too. Yes. <laughs> Over, overtly. Yes. At least yeah, overtly. If, they, if they, they stop doing that and they, and they you know, uh, and look, Trump, I, you know, I think he vaguely understood that he had rubbed people the wrong way, you know, but, but he had no, his heart wasn't in it. Like, you know, like he could have really dinged Biden for the 94 crime bill. I mean, he really could have he hurt him. To. Uh, and he doesn't he doesn't know how to do it. He has, right. he has, he has there's, his heart isn't in it. He was just when he, they, he talked about he brought it up at the debate. Remember, I had a bet with yeah, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> he brought yeah. it up at the debate and it was just like he was just saying words. It didn't mean anything. He hadn't embraced it. He hadn't thought about it. He hadn't thought it through. And, and like a real politician could have really, really parked that, you know, really driven that home. Uh, and made made and punished Biden for that. That would have been, you know, uh, uh, he condemned Biden in the same sentence as I think I we both predicted this. Uh, but he condemned Biden for being not tough on not law and orderish enough. Yes, in the he did them both in the sentence. same. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that that's actually a tip. Like that, that was is the bet. Trump, that's what the that's, bet was. Yeah. That's Trumpism at its best in a way because he doesn't have to have any ideology. He just points out. He know he he's an opportunist who points out inconsistencies in others, and it doesn't even matter. The ideology of it doesn't even matter. Yeah, that's right. He and he doesn't he doesn't really even have an ideology. Yeah. Again, right. just an opportunist, yeah. just a yeah. you know, just a guy who likes to see his face on TV. Yeah. When when you guys, I wonder what you guys think if you're like you you're going to be looking back on this twenty years from now. Which one was which one was the more um, important president? Was it Obama or was it Trump? I mean, that's a I, tough seriously. Call. Yeah. I mean, Obama was obviously better at the job, you know, <laughs> you know, it was elected by, you know, non-controversial, you know, majorities. But I mean, tr- Trump, the, the proof of concept that you can get elected doing what Trump did was so far beyond anything that had ever happened before that it's going to open the door for all kinds of 
things. Yeah, I think so probably, too. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's and I, I always think of I always think of Obama's great lost opportunity. You know, not to be a Trump, but to be a kind of you know, to be an FDR. You know, which he had in his hands in two thousand and nine. Uh, you know, when he's going up against Wall Street banks, and the world is behind him. You know, at the time, everybody loved this guy. Could have had yeah. whatever he wanted, and uh, instead he used his, um, you know, his gifts, his real powers, to um, rescue the norms. Right, and that's the Democratic Party, you know, and that's their that is their uh, that's the tragedy of Barack Obama and the tragedy of the Democrats. Too, although with Biden, I mean, who the hell knows? Wouldn't it be funny if Biden actually cared about this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't be Biden. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. He wouldn't be president today. Well, so what do you just, just quickly? Did you, what do you think? What do you think is going to be their major policy priority? Or 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 are they oh, just got to be COVID? He's already said it's it's got to right. it's got to be COVID. Uh, and then they have a whole list of other things that they're going to do. But um, uh, I'm not I'm not holding my breath. You know, uh, I don't think they're you know the it doesn't look like the. Uh, like the Democrats, unless there's a miracle in Georgia, it doesn't look like the Democrats are going to get the Senate. And um, that's going to make it for them. Yeah. Way, so right? then they, they don't, don't have, they don't have yeah. remember, we're going to go right back to 2014. Remember, Matt? Mm -hmm. um, Green Lanternism. That's Green Lanternism. You think that the president can just do things? He's not magical, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so exactly. It'll be time for me to dust off all those essays that I wrote back then about all the things Obama could do without Congress. But it, it, I mean, it is, it's sad to start your presidency that way uh, with Biden. That's, you know, that stinks because he's not a strong leader, um, you know, and, uh, and he's starting with a, a weak hand to begin with, without a real mandate. That sucks. Unless the economy really takes off, the Republicans are going to come right back at him in the midterm. So I'm not, I'm not hugely optimistic. I'm just hmm. not hugely optimistic. But, uh, you know, it would be nice if, that article that I wrote in The Guardian at least sparked some kind of pushback or some kind of historical reevaluation, let's put it that way, of the days of the neoliberals and the Democratic Leadership Council and the New Democrats and all that high-minded bullshit from the 1990s that has, that has really led us into this terrible impasse. If, if, if only the Democrats would even acknowledge that it's led us into this impasse. But no, for them, it's still, that's, that's, the, that's the golden age, right? Clintonism, that's the golden age when we were deregulating banks and telecoms and putting people in jail. That's the golden age. Right. So it, it, well, hey, the happy note is at least, at least the, you know, at least the, at least the imbecile is out of there. Yeah, at least, at least the asshole has to go down to Mar-a-Lago and start his TV show. Right. right. Yeah. Yes. Which we don't have to watch. We're, we won't. Be oh, wait, which it. which Trump family member do you think is going to is going to run in 2024? We should we should play another uh, drinking game about this. Ooh. I mean, it's too early, but uh, will it be Trump himself? Will it be Ivanka? Will it Donald. Be I think Donald John Jr. You think it'll be it'll be. Uh, I think it's Trump himself. Don't you? He'll be 78, though. Yeah. So Biden's 78, isn't he? Or seventy-seven, is, something. Is he? Yeah. I mean, Trump is remarkably vigorous for his for his age and for I mean, having just he, had COVID. He's no Bernie though. He's no Bernie. He leans that's, really that's hard onto the on the podium. It's it's very yeah. funny. Yeah. He, he he may have been like physiologically already dead for for decades. That's right? why he survived the COVID. And, right. Yeah. No exactly. 
So you know what I've you know what like, I've been doing lately to to pass the time. I watched both Nosferatu movies, the one from the twenties and the one from nineteen seventy nine. Wow! And then excellent. I and then I, I got I was so I, I love the uh, the Werner the Werner Herzog Defoe? one. Oh, Klaus oh yes. Oh my God! It is yeah, so so that's great. really funny. We brought but him I, up I went today. I went and got the uh, the novel, the Bram Stoker novel, and now I'm reading. That. It's not anywhere near as the Werner Herzog version is is the best by far. <laughs> Who do you think looks more like Nosferatu, Joe Biden or Rudy Giuliani? Oh, come on. That's totally Rudy. Rudy is like, oh, it's see, a, kind of alarming. Biden, we have a debate about this. It was Matt who first called. Matt overuses it, though. But, but, look, but right. look at that. Look at the Klaus Kinski version with the ears. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, my God. He is so brilliant. So Klaus Kinski is like, He's my absolute favorite actor of all time. I just think this guy is so awesome. Yeah. And yeah. His, he's, he's so great as the vampire. And, and, and it's, and, it's and also a movie. brilliant movie. Well, on that happy note, uh, Tom, thanks so much. Everybody should check out uh, your Guardian piece. and um, All your books. And, the people know. The yeah, people know. Liberal. Yeah, the people know is, is the one that I just like. These days, every time I open the newspaper and see the word populism abused, it just it just burns me up. I'm uh, it, anyhow, and it'll burn you up too. You can be as angry as me. That's right. <laughs> if you yep. buy the people, know. <laughs> yeah. You can irritate Tom Frank just by going outside right now and misusing that term. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. No, we'll but try not to do book. that. Yeah. All right, Tom. Thanks a lot for for All coming right. by, and we'll thanks, uh, we'll Tom. check in with you again soon. All right. See you guys later. All right. Bye. That was good. Yeah, that was good. It was great. It was great. I mean, look, he's um, all the stuff that he that he writes about that, of course, nobody wants to listen to anymore. Right. Is so it's so pertinent to what what's happening and what's going to happen in the next four years. But to, to me, the most the most likely scenario is that both parties ignore the advice, and that you and you, and neither party decides to try to become a working uh, like a workers party and you and you end up with just two totally full of shit organizations one of which, which they is, are currently yeah exactly right they just but, double down on it they become even fuller of shit they become bloated with shit right right but without even the pretense of being right maybe the so. people's party rises maybe like nosferatu yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and on that note. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. Uh, Excellent. All right. Well, Excellent. rate and review. Rate and um, review. Yes. Rate and review on iTunes. Subscribe on YouTube. Hit that subscribe and then that bell. Smash. That smash subscribe. the and then smash the like button and right. and share it with your loved ones and tell them that if it's a battle for the soul of America between us and Pod Save America, which right. is ironically named for being honest. That's right. So do do all those things and then we'll see you again next week. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.